Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Sabretooth tigers, they are just cute little babies. Just like Ice Age. He was a full grown. Or did he have kids? Oh, no, no, no. I got that backwards. I got that. It's a human baby. <laughs> Sabretooth tiger. <laughs> we can just cut that out. What's good? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The News Olympian. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the titular News Olympian. I'm a 30-year-old man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them as an adult because I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we have been sleeping on as a society, but I'm not on this quest alone. I'm joined again by big Percy Jackson fan, big podcast boy, in person with me. Now for the second time in person, look at us go. It is the co-host and co-creator of Tipping Pitches and a podcast producer for The Ringer, Bobby Wagner, how is it going? I'm back like I never left. Shoobs, what's up, dude? It is like you never left. It's almost as if we just both went to the bathroom, refilled our waters, and got back in to record some more. <laughs> the magic of podcasting. Mm -hmm. We had a quick off-mic talk about the Mets and the Yankees so that we wouldn't do it again on the show <laughs> For and the angering all the, all the people. <laughs> we got it out of our system. We You're are who welcome. we are. Much like Kesha said, we are who we are. Thank you for the Kesha reference. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now it'll allow me to make a Kesha tangent, which is what we're doing in the place of this episode instead of the what's your history with the books and who's your godly parent. In college, I had a roommate who had a very big Kesha poster that was given to him sick, as a gift. Dude, that's sick. It's great. And I had a big Justin Bieber poster on the ceiling. Also and That sick. was also given to me as a gift. Also sick. So... Kesha poster we put on the wall where the recycling bin was so that anytime we took an empty alcohol container, <laughs> it was a peace offering to the goddess Kesha. <laughs> and Justin Bieber was just on the ceiling. And I remember it was like the first weekend of the year, there was some like freshman crawl happening at Rice because we could drink on campus and in the dorms. We would, instead of having like bar crawls out, you would have yeah. dorm crawls where people would just, there were 11 residential colleges instead of the Greek life. So you'd have some sort of theme crawl. There'd be one stop at each of the colleges. So the people who lived across the bathroom from us were freshmen. And it was like a sweet thing connected by a bathroom. Yeah. And they asked us like, hey, we're going to have the crawl come through at like nine. Is it cool if we kind of like spill over into your room? It'll only be like 20, 30 minutes. So we're like, yeah, no big deal. We're going out later. Chill. So these freshmen come in and they see our room and it's people we have never heard of before. I mean, my friends are playing Mario Kart 64 on our as TV. As you do. As you do. I still play that, bro. It's so good. It's the best one. <laughs> I got it on the Switch now. Ooh. You can play the N64 games oh, on can? Switch. <gasps> yeah. It's a, it's a game changer. Gotta get it. Gotta get it. The it. amount of Mario Golf's N64 that I've played in the last two months is unhealthy. When my roommates and I realized that to play the first Grand Prix of Mario Kart takes exactly 15 minutes, that was bad news, Bears, because anytime we had free 15 minutes. <laughs> it's like one episode of SpongeBob, dude. <laughs> so we're playing Mario Kart. These people come in. They're like talking, drinking, whatever. These freshmen come across. They see the posters. And this one dude goes, Ugh. You have a Kesha poster and a Justin Bieber poster? Get him out of the club. That's weird. Boot him out of the club. We pause the game. Me and my two roommates turn in unison, and we all just say some sort of variations of, get the f*** 
out get of out house. here get out of here <laughs> leave we we're like get out and they were like what we we're like leave get out you get out you so cannot stay it's so disrespectful so disrespectful who do you think you are we were juniors and seniors you're a freshman coming in making fun of our very cool pose get out of My here dude, you gotta learn how to brush your teeth with jack daniels this was 2013 this was peak kesha, peak kesha. yeah this is tiktok about to change the game with pitbull this was when tiktok meant a good song and not a bad app <laughs> Come on! Ugh. Anyway, now that my get off my lawn moment is out of my system, we can get into Percy Jackson. And speaking of TikTok, I did start a TikTok for the new Olympian, but by I, I mean Sherry and I, because I'm taking the Rick Riordan approach to social media with TikTok, where I just take videos and then I send them to Sherry and she makes TikToks out of the videos. <laughs> so I don't know how many will be posted by the time this episode comes out. We do have a presence on TikTok, but it's not me. Never downloaded it. Never will. Vine till I die. I just got to say... As one white guy to another white guy, you got to watch your sunglasses use and your mic angle placement so that you don't come off as one of those like alt-right ranters when you're doing like the <laughs> selfie videos. That's my advice to you for your TikTok presence. Don't worry. This one, it was in a car and I was doing a thing because it was when we were in St. Louis and I made a arch-related joke. Yes. But yes, I will. Thank you for the advice. I, <laughs> I will make sure that I don't look alt-righty. <laughs> Not a vibe I'm going for. Anyway, we are clearly here to discuss Percy Jackson the books, and we are going to continue through chapter nine, which is called I Learn How to Grow Zombies. We have not seen the zombies yet. We will see the zombies soon, where we last left our hero, Percy. He was sneaking in on the villain meeting, and we had just been introduced to the general, and we learned that he's not the CGI guy from the Shaquille O'Neal commercials. The general tells Thorne that Thorne has already failed him and generally makes Thorne look weak and unassuming. Generally. generally. Well, I wrote that, and after I wrote it, I was like, oh, nice. <laughs> this is a contrast to before when Percy was really scared of him. Percy now really doesn't fear Thorne as much. He feels like someone playing a pretend soldier, whereas the general just feels like he was born to lead and command people. Yeah. The general calls out Thorne's failure, and he reveals that he, as the general, is Kronos' senior commander, which, okay, cool. Sounds like a made-up title, but you do you. <laughs> Everybody's giving themselves titles <laughs> these days. I'm like the senior VP of commanding the evil army. Hey, Raze. Uh, I run into this with the podcasting because I don't know what to say because I do, like, almost everything <laughs> for, for the show. So, like... I don't know what I'm to call myself. I'm the senior commander of tipping pitches now. I'm just making that. <laughs> there you go. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Alex will find out in a couple weeks when this goes live. <laughs> Tough break, Alex. You know, you found out the hard way. So he tells Thorne to leave until he gives him another menial task to do. And I wrote, <gasps> Scullion? <laughs> <laughs> Look at us learning. The general then tells Luke that they must isolate Thalia so that the monster comes to her. Luke says the hunters will be difficult to dispose of. And after he mentions Zoe Nightshade by name, the general tells him not to do so. And we've already discussed how intriguing it is. All of the things that we're learning about Zoe, this is even more intriguing because I don't think that we have heard the don't say their name thing for demigods before. I don't think anyone's ever said don't say Percy Jackson. Usually when monsters know who he is, they call him full name Perseus Jackson. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what's going on with Zoe where saying her name is a concern, but I do have a theory. And this is what you heard me gasp really significantly at when I was finishing up my reading before recording. I should have been videotaping that. I mean, there was some great stuff, but it's okay. I'm not going to make you work <laughs> no, for my social media stuff. I was stuff. too busy tweeting. <laughs> Look, it's important. So here's what I wrote. She's got to have a godly parent. 
and I wrote this in the lowercase. Then I switched to caps lock. Is she a daughter of Hades or Kronos or someone evil? I guess I should just quote my notes. She's got to have a godly parent. OMG, is she like a daughter of Hades or Kronos or something? OMG, her and Chiron are really similar. Wait, OMG, wait. Does Kronos kill her? And that's the prophecy? Maybe it's not Bianca, like I said before? I mean, it just feels (laughs) like that could be something. I still don't know the general, what he is, just like as a entity at this point. I have no idea, but yeah. like it feels like there's some evil ties with Zoe. But at this point, the general's introduction has been so vague that he's not like Rick is not giving so much away as to what role he's going to be playing in this, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't know exactly why the general is the senior commander, self-made title that he is. Mm-hmm. Because you already know that Luke is playing a large role in this, and he he kind of has like nothing to do with Kronos before all of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, not that he has nothing to do with it, but he's not the most obvious person to play a role in all of this. And so it's keeping you a little bit on your heels about who is related to what and what is coming in terms of why he, people are so sensitive about saying names when mm-hmm. up until this point, that's been something that's been reserved for gods. Right. I'm also now wondering, thinking of the general, thinking of me last night playing pinball with Kelly at Barcade, playing <laughs> Avengers Infinity Quest, was that with Thanos, all of the people that were kind of beneath him one rung were all his kids. So mm-hmm. it could be a situation where the general is maybe a son of Kronos, but a not god son so maybe he's like a demigod son of chronos because clearly chronos can have any sort of kid if he can have a centaur kid so anything's an option so it could be a situation where the general is chronos's kid making zoe the general sibling or half sibling or something maybe that's why he also has some beef with zoe but that could be my thought and then we do have the part of the prophecy that says someone's going to die by the hand of their parent. So maybe it's even like a grandpa situation. Maybe Zoe is the general's kid who is the kid of Kronos. So maybe Kronos is her grandparent. Or maybe Kronos comes and Kronos kills Zoe. But it feels like that could be the situation. And though that would be sad because now I'm invested in Zoe, it would be better given that Phoebe's not on the quest anymore. <laughs> I feel like it'd be better than Bianca dying because at least Zoe's lived a life. Clearly, she's been around for 70,000 years. Bianca since cars has were not. Invented. Right, since cars were invented in the prehistoric era, <laughs> you know, in the Jurassic era. But that could be the thing that just made me think. And I, I, it's very intriguing. It's very, very interesting. All of that to say that you've been with Zoe for 100 pages now, but you're already very invested. I know. And I didn't like her for a good chunk of those pages. Yeah. But I'm super duper intrigued. And I do love that every time you come on the podcast, something happens where I take a big swing prediction. <laughs> so that would be my guess is there. Zoe is related to Kronos and Slash or the General. Because, yeah, we had things where it said her and Chiron were really similar. So, like, they have the same reactions. They give each other knowing looks. She was kind of rude to Chiron, as if, you know, sometimes you get a pass to be a little more rude and direct with people in your family, like, or at least people you have a history with. I don't know, man. I don't know. So then the general begins to explain the plan to clear out the hunters. He asks a guard if he has, quote, the teeth. And when the guard confirms, the general tells him to plant them. And I was like, oh, right, the zombies. Do the teeth turn into zombies? And then I remembered... Jason and the Argonauts. Have you seen this movie or do you know what I'm referring to? I have seen the movie in a high school mythology class. Nice. But don't remember what you're referring to. So please enlighten me. 
I have not seen the movie, but it gets referenced in, I think, The Lightning Thief. And my guest, Stephen Parra, told me, here's the clip. You should watch it. It's really funny because it's like one of the earliest instances of a special effect thing because they use some sort of stop motion, but skeletons rise out of the ground. Mm -hmm. And then Jason has to fight off the skeletons. I don't know who summoned them in the movie. I don't know what's going all on there. But I just know zombie skeletons is a thing. So my initial thought here was, oh, are they going to plant the teeth? And then from the teeth, are zombie skeleton things going to rise? And initially, no. But eventually, yes. I don't know if it's the same thing as Jason and the Argonauts or if it's just a coincidence that there's two Greek-based things with zombie skeletons that rise out of the ground. But I would guess that they're probably inspired by the same thing. Yeah, it feels like some kind of mythological connection in terms of the magic and the ability that they have to do this type of thing. Yeah. What's confusing, though, is that Percy makes the Jason and the Argonauts reference in the first book, but then doesn't make it in this book when it feels quite apparent to make it. Listen, he's got a lot going on. Yeah, he's got true. a lot on his mind. He's a busy boy. After a bit of back and forth where Luke tries to prove his worth against the general, basically giving him the, oh, that's very cute. You know, we'll put it on the fridge. Let's get you to bed, grandma. <laughs> aspect of Luke's cog in this whole machine. He then tells Luke to behold his army, and creatures begin to grow from where the teeth were planted. One is a tiger kitten, and then there are a dozen tiger kittens. And everyone is very confused, causing the general to erupt in anger, saying, What is this? Cute, cuddly kittens? Where did you find those teeth? I really need to nail my general voice. I, I keep going all over the place with it, but he's super upset. Apparently, the guard who took them took them from the saber-toothed tiger exhibit and not the T-Rex exhibit, to which I thought, are they going to have a T-Rex army? That's <laughs> wild if so. But what we can realize is that these teeth are not making fully formed saber-toothed tigers. They are just cute little babies, which is adorable. And again, merchandise opportunity for Disney. Little plushies. Come on. Yeah. So the general sends out this dude with the kittens and tells another to get the correct teeth now. Incredible laugh line, like that these people are so disorganized while also potentially maybe ending the entire world. I mean, look, henchmen, they just don't make them like they used to. <laughs> so the general calls them imbeciles, and Luke says that's why he doesn't use mortals, since they are unreliable. But then the general says, as you referenced in our last episode, quote, they are weak-minded, easily bought, and violent. I love them. And I mean, not an incorrect way to qualify humans. Just in one line, boiling down the role that humans play throughout history, like in the reading of history in these novels. Like, it's a very simple cut straight to the core, but also it's hard to deny those accusations as a mortal myself. He absolutely ethers the human race in one <laughs> line. And if you look at some other franchises like Batman, where people are just corrupt and it's usually just money or blackmailing or something... That's usually all it takes. And yeah. I don't know. I do wonder for these mortals that they're hiring, are there really good benefits? Is there really good money? Like, what's the draw for, hey, you're going to end the world? And they kind of hand wave that in the book, to be honest. <laughs> they're kind of like, you know, later on, they asked about what's in it for them. What do they see? What do they think they're doing? And they're just kind of like, eh, they're just driven by money. Like, so are these like black site operatives? Are these like CIA dudes? Like, I, I just have a lot of questions. Yeah, is there a job posting on the dark web version of Indeed or <laughs> Evil LinkedIn, which I guess is just LinkedIn. Did they just they just handpick these dudes out of Area 51? Like, what's going on? Now I'm imagining a montage scene of getting this group together, but it's just a bunch yeah. of incompetent mortals. <laughs> 
So this other guard returns with the new teeth, and the general jumps down off of the 20-foot balcony, and when he lands, he cracks the floor. Very cool entrance, but he doesn't stick the landing because then he complains about his stiff neck. And I thought two things. Either this is a reference that's going over my head because it's some Greek thing where he got stabbed in the neck by, you know, Brad Pitt's character from Troy, because that <laughs> that's the thing I remember most from that movie is when he just jabs the dude in the neck. Either it's a reference to something that would make it some sort of clue that I just don't know because I'm not well-versed in Greek stuff. Right. Or maybe it's going to be some sort of clue that Percy remembers later is, ah, this guy's got a bad neck. And it's the video game thing of, ah, this is the red flashing area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brad Pitt's character from Troy. Isn't that Achilles? Yes. Pretty sure that's Achilles. Yes. He's a famous one. Yep. That is correct. Look, I Just had, checking. You know, it started off as me making a cool reference, and then you called me out on not knowing <laughs> that it was Achilles. Been a little bit since I've watched the film. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's not bad. So here's something that I found very interesting. The general then says, Dinosaur teeth? Ha! Those foolish mortals don't even know when they have dragon teeth in their possession. And not just any dragon teeth, any in italics. These come from the ancient Sybaris? 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 Sybaris herself. (laughs) They shall do nicely. And I think it's so good because I don't remember what I was watching or who I was talking to, but I feel like very recently I either had or heard a conversation about how dinosaur skeleton bones, like who the hell knows if we're right, right? It's like, who knows if it's correct? I can't remember what it was from, but I do think it's funny when Rick does these sorts of things in the book where mortal things are mistaken Greek things and humans, mortals are just too silly to recognize. I think this is a really fun twist. Yeah, I like it a lot. And it's also like, one of the better examples of like the two worlds crossing over in an interesting way. Like I think sometimes if you think too hard about the compatibility of like what we know to be true about the human world and what we're being told about the ways that the Greek mythological world interacts with that, it doesn't work. But then to think about the fact that we're like putting on display these things that are incredibly powerful and that the humans don't understand that they're actually like, you know, from dragons and whatnot, not just like the dinosaurs, the stories that we've told ourselves. It's funny. It's flipping the paradigm on itself a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think it's really funny and it's always fun and I hope it continues throughout the series because it's It's just always a good bit. It's always going to work. So the general plants the seeds and he waters them and he commands them to rise. And he asks one of the snake ladies if they have the scent and they confirm and they show a scarf of silvery fabric like the hunters have. And the general says that once these beasts catch a whiff, they will hunt them down relentlessly. And he says that no weapons known to half-blood or hunter can stop them. And narrative Percy then says, quote, as he said that, skeletons erupted from the ground. And my first question here was, okay, skeletons make sense based on the Jason and the Argonaut stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you plant saber-tooth tiger teeth and baby saber-tooth tigers come, when you plant dragon slash dinosaur teeth, why do skeletons grow? It's an unanswerable question. I wonder if it's a thing of the Greek teeth have this one particular thing, but then the non-Greek stuff, like if I just bury some teeth, Will I get a baby version of a regular thing? Like, if I (laughs) buried a dog's teeth, do I get a puppy? I'm willing to try. (laughs) I love puppies. (laughs) Like, 
I also think that there is some sort of magical liquid that they have to use because I feel like they make some sort of reference to either a red can or red liquid that yes. the general poured that on it. That is like almost like blood-like or something like that. Yeah, so maybe it's more about that. But I was just confused of, I again, and I've referenced this a lot in the podcast, it's one of the SpongeBob starfish plus sponge equals clam question mark <laughs> how does dragon slash dinosaur teeth equal skeletons yes. i think the skeletons are cool but i was just like huh what huh? yeah how exactly and the skeletons from the moment that they appear and the way that they're talking about them you know it's big trouble yeah dude. like you know there's been plenty of times where this ragtag group of demigods has come across challenges that other demigods have seen and conquered in the past. You know, it's weaving in references to Medusa. It's weaving in references to the Furies. But these are things that you know that they can beat. And from the very beginning of this, which I think is an effective storytelling tactic, it's like you guys are on the run. You can't beat these. You know, not even Riptide is going to help you in the mm -hmm. situation. And I think that that is just like a heightening of the stakes that we haven't really seen that often in the series so far. Right. And to make sure that it really is driven home. It's not like the general says they won't know how to defeat them or they can't conquer them. It's just, there is nothing you can do. Yeah. You're screwed. Yeah. And it made me wonder even more what the general's deal is because specifically he said no weapons known to mortals or demigods. My thought was, all right, bud, what are you then? Where do you <laughs> fit into the spectrum here of being able to take these people down? So narrative Percy says that the skeletons erupted from the ground, and then he continues, there were 12 of them, one for each tooth the general had planted. They were nothing like Halloween skeletons or the kind you might see in cheesy movies. These were growing flesh as I watched, turning into men, but men with dull gray skin, yellow eyes, and modern clothes. The clothes growing, I think, is so interesting. <laughs> gray muscle shirts, camo pants, and combat boots. If you didn't look too closely, you could almost believe they were human, but their flesh was transparent and their bones shimmered underneath like x-ray images. Terrifying. Yeah, a really good Nightmare description. Fuel. But also, if you didn't look too closely, I feel like I notice when people's skin is not transparent and when mm -hmm. it might be transparent. <laughs> yeah, when they have shiny bones and stuff. Yeah, yellow eyes. Some jaundice going on there. The other thing this description reminded me of, have you seen the movie Warm Bodies? Yes. You know when they have the bonies, like the evil yes. zombies that are past the point of return? It yes. kind of reminded me of that. But those, I think, are a little more skeleton-y. These fall a little more human-y than the bonies, which is still such a funny name for right. a group of villains. I like that they specified that they're wearing, like, muscle t-shirts, too. <laughs> and combat boots. Combat boots, you know, like, just to make it, like, a little more intimidating, I guess. Like, sun's out, gun's out for these dudes. The vibe is always a strong element to Rick Riordan's writing. He yes. needs to make sure that people fit the part. Ares is on a motorcycle with biker gear and stuff, you yes. know. Always got to have the vibe correct. And clothes go a long way. Mm-hmm. So one of them looks Percy directly in the eye, and he can tell that the cap is not going to work on them. A snake lady then drops down the scarf from the balcony, and Percy thinks to himself, look, if they get a hold of this, we are screwed. So he runs and jumps and grabs it out of the air, and the general calls out that there's an intruder. Luke knows that it has to be Percy Jackson. A skeleton then rips Percy's sleeve and smells it. Devastating. Devastating. Yep. And Percy squeezes through the door before the guards can successfully close it to try to trap him inside, which is what the general wanted them to do. And then the only line we get from Percy is he goes, and then I ran. 
Yes. It's so good. I ran so far away. <laughs> That's our obligatory singing a song, which we did on both episodes that I appeared in for The Lightning Thief. Mm-hmm. And you made a Kate Bush reference last episode. Here so we go. we're keeping Music the streak going, in, my man. baby. Keeping it alive. At this point, something about Percy that really stood out to me in this moment that I think has obviously been building and has even been, I think, textual at points throughout the series so far is that what makes him so relatable, empathetic king, as you've described him as. In Greek mythology, they have like a term for it that I don't know very well, but I think it's called hamartia. Oh, yeah. I think it's hamartia. Yeah. yeah. Hamartia or however yeah. you pronounce it. Please don't at me about that. I think it was just a teacher said it that <laughs> way to me one time. So if that's wrong, blame my teacher. Tweet at them, please. <laughs> that I think makes you love him so much, but also at the same time, you can see how he would have a downfall. He can't leave himself out of a situation that might affect his friends. Like, he has to jump in there. The first thing he thinks to do is to go take the scarf away to protect the other people around him for the betterment of the group. And it makes him really relatable, and it makes him a lovable protagonist in a way that not all protagonists who you spend this much time with turn out to be but also like it makes me worried for him it makes me worry that he's like setting himself up to fall on the sword for the whole group and i'm like percy my guy this is a dangerous situation that you're sprinting into the middle of here dude yeah i mean maybe it's because he knows he doesn't have necessarily the longest to live that he feels like it is the right choice for him yeah to put his life on the line in these sorts of situations i think he's just very selfless it reminds me of some superhero stuff you'll see this with like spider-man or captain america where they want to save someone that they're close to or go into a situation that really looks like they're not going to get out of it but they wouldn't be able to live with themselves if they didn't try to save this person exactly so i think percy just recognizes like this is going to be a bad situation i'd rather have the bad situation happen to me than someone else and that's inspiring yeah really is it is it is let's take a little bit of a break here for the titan's purse before we get into chapter 10 Hello and welcome to the Titan's Purse. First, I'd like to thank every single person who came either in person or via live stream or via live stream replay to the first ever TNO live show. There were so many people there. It was absolutely ridiculous. So many people watched the stream and the replay and it was so fantastic and this will set us up for future success and the ability to do lots of live shows in the future. So thank you so much for turning out and thanks to all the folks who showed up for the half Potterless, half TNO show we did one week later. These events were both so successful and I cannot thank you all enough. I really, really, really appreciate it. And I cannot wait to do more live shows in the future, hopefully international shows as well. Really excited for the future of doing lots of TNO live shows. There's a few more half and half shows on the books for the rest of the year. We are coming to Salt Lake City and Portland, Oregon and Dallas, Texas. If you want tickets, you can go to thenewestolympian.com slash live. And another thing just to keep your eye out for, we've got new merch in the works, lots of different types of merch from pins to shirts to digital items to maybe posters as well. Some of the sweet posters that we had at the show might also be available for sale online. So keep an eye out. Follow us on social media at News Olympian on Twitter and Instagram so you will know once that merch goes live. But it's coming soon in the next week or so. I'd also like to thank all the folks who joined the Patreon, especially the folks who joined for our Hades stream and those who tuned in to the Hades stream. Me and Stephen Parra had a wonderful three hours playing Hades with with all of you. Shout out to all the people who joined live or watched after the fact. If you go to the slash Patreon and you join at any tier, you can watch that replay. It was three hours of goofiness. Kelly baked blue chocolate chip cookies and got a bunch of blue snacks. It was a very, very fun time. And you can still get access to all of that at the slash Patreon. And speaking of the Patreon, I want to thank 
50 of the newest members. Again, so many people joined recently that we are doing the 50 person cap. So thank you all so, so much for supporting the show and making my weird job a little more normal and for making the Hades stream such a success. It will certainly be the first of many. Can't wait to keep doing these every couple of months or so with Steven. So shout out to your newest ultra god tier patron, Miss Zeus's Kid. Shout out to your newest mega god tier patron, Adam Cherweech. Shout out to your new super god tier patrons, R. Waters, Kale Thomas, Mickey, Tori Crisp, Villain Uevas, and Nicola Bodicker. Shout out to your newest god tier patrons, Heather Juedes, Bobby Juan Kenobi, Chelsea Jennings, Teresa Schroeder, Abigail Stahl, Artemis Turned Me Into a Jackalope, Yukamip Eats Waffles, Elizabeth Fuentes, Sally Jackson's number one fan, Lily, James Eagle, Jacqueline Van Bronckhorst, Abdi Isak, Jacob, Emi Sivanen, Alyssa Hickman, Nicole H., and Carmen Terrio. And shout out to your newest demigod tier patrons, Jenna Huddleston, Ashley, Diamonds and Jewels, Darby Campbell, Percy Smaxon, Wise Girl the Bean, with three exclamation points, Reed Schaffstall, Bearded Shark, Kathleen A., Rachel Carmona, Chess Jess, Ella Toracampo, Kemi and Carson, Rain, Joseph Powers, the newest Olivia, Neva Sanders, Infinite, Ode of John, Rachel Weinberg Rue, Paula, The Damn T-Shirt, Tracy, Lidlid, The Terrible Kid, and Katrin Mills. Thank you so much. May Demeter and Hephaestus team up to bless all of your plants in Stardew Valley to yield many money. I recently started playing, I don't know what the money's called. What's the G stand for? Who's to say? I hope your crops are great. Also, I want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you're all caught up on the new Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, why not check out a podcast from a familiar voice, Dr. Moy McTeer, with her podcast, Exolore. Exolore is a wonderful podcast all about world building. They talk about worlds that already exist from your favorite creators. They also create new worlds, answering sort of what if questions. What would a world be like if this thing was different about our planet? You can gain an appreciation for our current planet and say, wow, I'm glad that our oceans are made out of lava. Or you can think about the merits of these what if type planets. I've also been on the podcast in the past. I did a bracket with her to determine the best of the first world she'd created across the first 50 episodes of the show. And I got to say the world that won pretty good world. So you can listen to that episode and all episodes of Exolore wherever you get your podcasts or by going to exolorepod.com and Exolore is spelled E-X-O-L-O-R-E. And finally, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Austria, don't be surprised if you hear an Austrian related ad. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, a.k.a. the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews. Available at a pet store near you. And we're back. Chapter 10 is called I Break a Few Rocket Ships. My guess here was pretty easy. I figured they would fight whatever the aforementioned monster was, the little plaything, and then they'd break some rocket ships. And I nailed it. Woo, big tough <laughs> guess for me, baby. Real hard one for me to predict.
So Percy rushes across the mall and he enters the Rocket Museum and he takes off his cap. It's not crowded because it's cold, school's out, and he literally runs into Thalia, proving he would not be a very good invisible sneaky guy. <laughs> yes. Grover is shocked. Zoe and Bianca have him at arrow point, And then when Zoe realizes who he is, she gets very upset. Grover is very happy to see Percy, but then when Zoe shoots him a look of anger, he goes, I mean, um, gosh, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> Grover is so pure. I'm such a fan. Such he just wears his heart on his sleeve, man. Love it. Such a good friend, that Grover. Percy tries to catch his breath, but he gets out after kind of panting and deep breathing that Luke is here. Thalia's anger immediately washes away, and she asks, where? And Percy lets them know everything that happened, recaps the whole situation, and Zoe is in disbelief that the general is here, which again makes me think that there is some sort of tie, even if they're not related, they definitely have some sort of history, and maybe that disbelief was she recently defeated him, monster rules, he's supposed to be gone, he shouldn't be back so quickly, or mm -hmm. maybe it is a situation like with Kronos where we had chopped him into pieces and spread him out, there's no way he's back. I feel like Zoe, even if she's not related, she knows more about this dude and she doesn't think him being here is a possibility yeah it's a little bit like the doomsday clock where like these successive challenges that they are facing as they are getting more and more grave and like these it's like a little bit of a level up like we're oh we're actually closer to this big blowout fight than we've maybe thought we were yeah. by the fact that we're seeing these people react stronger and show like more surprise about these successive challenges that they're facing Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting for me currently reading this, not knowing a lot of the stuff about it, because I don't know this dude's history. I don't know who else is in play. I don't even know like what he is. I don't know how they fit into the big thing of Kronos. We still don't know what the Titan's curse is. Like yes. there's so much happening and we're halfway through the book. Like there's 20 chapters. We're in chapter 10 and it appears like some big bad stuff is going down. We still got a lot of book left. Yeah. It's intense. So Percy then relays to them that there are 12 skeleton warriors, and that worries Thalia, but Percy says that they also have to worry about the playmate. And Grover then realizes that Still he, no. No, still, still no. no. <laughs> Grover then realizes that he had been following Artemis's trail, and Artemis, who way back said that she had to follow the monster, and I wondered, is this some other monster, or is she talking about Thorn? She must have been talking about this plaything, because Grover then realizes, okay, she must have been following the trail of this. It brought her to D.C. We followed her. She must have stopped here before whatever happened. Maybe D.C. is where she got captured because they set up base here. I'm not really sure what the whole west of it all, but at least Grover identifies why the tracking acorn trick brought them here. And Bianca is very nervous about the general, and she starts to tell Zoe if it is him, meaning I feel like... He was in the dream, maybe, because we know that Bianca knows Zoe's dream details and was saying that she should share them with Thalia. Yeah. Maybe that's what's going on. But Zoe refuses to believe that it could be him. She thinks it's an illusion. And then Percy says, illusions can't break marble floors, which, yeah, I mean, yes. Unless we're going to Mysterio rules in Spider-Man where they've got drones shooting stuff. For the <laughs> most part, illusions can't break marble floors. Correct. So Percy's confused as to why Zoe is taking it so personally. I've already got my reasons as to why. But he knows that now is not the time to ask. He's a sympathetic king. He's an empathetic king. He's an aware king. He knows when to push, when to not. 
He understands He's a practical king. Yes. Yes, he is. (laughs) Zoe takes a breath and then levels with them that if Percy is right about the skeletons, that they got to get out of here ASAP. So the general has talked about how terrifying these things are. Zoe, who is not one for taking things lightly, and she's also a very confident person. If she's worried about the skeletons, I'm worried about the skeletons. Yeah. And she says that they are the worst and the most horrible things that you can deal with. So definitely sounds like they are not fun. Percy says it's a good idea. Zoe says, you're not part of our group. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Dahlia says, you don't have a vote. <laughs> Dahlia says Percy shouldn't be here. But since he is now, he might as well go with them. And she orders everyone to go to the van. And Zoe says that this is not Thalia's call to make. And Thalia says that Zoe is not the boss of everyone just because of her age. And then she calls her a conceited brat, which again, feels a little unnecessary. Yes, I think you described her as coming off a little bit like a stick in the mud at first. But... At this point, and maybe Thalia is like too in the thick of it to realize it, but at this point, I think that as a reader, you can give Zoe the benefit of the doubt that there's a reason that she's behaving this way. She knows something. She has some kind of wisdom based on the hints that she's giving, based on her confidence in certain situations and her knowledge of certain situations, that she has more knowledge and background and wisdom than all of these people combined. And Mm so, yeah, I mean, Thalia acting that way, like, who among us has not thought that they had the right idea? <laughs> yeah. It does also, again, making me more intrigued about Zoe, it does make me wonder what Thalia and Zoe's backstory is because clearly yeah. they have some sort of history. And attention, yeah. So, yeah, we don't really know what's going on there. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that I want to learn and maybe we'll have a situation where they escape danger and we get a bit of a we're traveling west and maybe we learn more. It feels like Zoe is currently mimicking the... Annabeth path from the second book where she definitely knew some stuff but then didn't say things but then Percy and I love that he does this every couple of chapters will be like hey you know how this thing happened and I didn't ask you about it a couple of chapters ago because it wasn't Level the right time here. is now the right time <laughs> and I'm hoping Percy does that for Zoe yeah Zoe, after being called a conceited brat, says that Thalia has no wisdom when it comes to boys, says that she could never leave them behind. And this feels like a Luke reference which does feel like kind of a low blow Zoe, Zoe. But also, is she she being a truth teller a little bit? Yeah. But I guess the only thing is, I don't know if Thalia had a crush on Luke. I mean, maybe. He's dreamy and older. How could you not? (laughs) So maybe that's what it was. But it does feel like Zoe, given her place as a hunter, someone that has no romantic interest at all, it does feel like she is implying that with this. Right. And also an important manifestation of the distinction of the two different versions of Luke too, mm-hmm. where because Zoe doesn't have as much of a personal connection to it, she can look at it more practically and think like, this is the Luke that we have to face now. It's no longer the guy that you were on quests with. It's no longer the guy who you were in Camp Half-Blood with. Like we need to be realistic about the situation. And maybe because she doesn't like the whole romanticism of boys and everything, maybe Zoe in her mind thinks, You couldn't see what's inside Luke as being an evil person because you were so infatuated with him. Maybe she's frustrated of, how could you not see this coming? But people change. It happens. Yes. And there are grander things at play here, clearly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thalia looks enraged, but then they hear a very large growl. And then in what is going to be so good in the TV show, a kid goes, kitty! And then it's a giant animal, (laughs) which is just always a great comedic bit, and I cannot wait for the TV show to do this. What is the timeline on the TV show? They are currently filming season one. I want to say they will finish filming in early next year, 
Okay. I think because since it is actual kids under 18, that it they is going to take a while yeah. to go. I want to say late 2023, I think, is when the show's going to come out. But I don't know that a target date has been set yet. Right. The longer it takes, the better, because then I'll have the most stuff done. And it will <laughs> allow me the most time to establish myself as the Percy Jackson podcast that Rick Riordan should totally come on. To promote the TV to promote show. promote the TV show. Not that he needs to, but... He should. Well, right? we've already established that Disney is listening. Disney. Yeah, Disney, come through. Get it done. Come on. Jonathan Disney, reach out to <laughs> Rick Ray. Bob Chapek, please. I can't even keep up with which Bob is in front of in charge Literally, of Disney. Literally, I know. Literally. It's God. me next. It's me next. Oh, okay. Hey. I'm in line. You'll have to drop the B-Y. You're just going to be Bob. <laughs> is that ever going to happen? Are you, are you ever going to get to an age where you're like, I can't be Bobby anymore? I'm an old man. Um, maybe well probably there will become an age where it feels silly to be called that but also maybe not i feel like people still call robert de niro bobby bobby de niro he's like 85 now yeah some people do call me bob just to like save an extra syllable we already talked about how important saving <laughs> syllables is <laughs> not for the british folks they would call you you know baba lobby or whatever yeah, exactly. they would add more syllables oh bibbly bobby wagner <laughs> so the kid yells kitty, and narrative Percy says, quote, something enormous bounded up the ramp. It was the size of a pickup truck with silver claws and golden glittering fur. I'd seen this monster once before, two years ago, in the hit New York Times bestselling novel, The Lightning Thief. Two years ago, I'd glimpsed it briefly from a train. Now up close and personal, it looked even bigger. Shout out to, I don't know what episode this was in. I don't remember who my guest was. I want to say it was Johnny but I'm not positive, but shout out to his poker face or accidental poker face because I asked when he saw a glittering, gleaming lion, is this something that is relevant? Is this some sort of godlike form where a god turns into a lion, kind of like how Hera turns into a peacock, right? And roams around or Zeus does, or both of them do. I think both of them do. I wondered if this was something and whoever my guest was, and I think I even asked Dr. Moya, they were just like, nah, it's just, you know, when he learns about the mist, he can see more things. And I think it's just kind of like a flavor text of his eyes have been opened. Shout out to them for not revealing anything. Cause when I was reading this, as you saw, I literally gasped and put my hands on my cheeks. Like I was Macaulay Culkin in home alone. <laughs> what a great reveal, like a two book long gap bit. Come on. Yes. You got to be a very organized person to call back to something that far ago. Or it's a plan that far out in advance. Maybe it was planned. Maybe it was flavor text and it turned into a reference that actually has something. I think this happened in a lot of book series. This definitely happened in Harry Potter. People are like, oh, look at all the seeds. The book two planted. It's like, maybe look at all the things in book six. JK was like, oh, what's that thing I wrote before? Oh, yeah. Let me yeah, do that. Sure, yeah. Well, notice how she changed the name of the put outer to the deluminator when it became important. Yes. <laughs> yes. But... I would love to ask Rick Riordan about this if he ever does come on the show. Like, hey, did you know this? Were you hoping to maybe use it? Was it something you just thought of? Because he is organized, but he did admit to the reason that Blackjack is trans icon Blackjack is he forgot he made Blackjack a girl in book two. <laughs> One of my guests said this, and I'm trusting my guest, but apparently he just forgot. <laughs> and Blackjack comes in pretty close to the end of book two. <laughs> I sort of feel like somebody should have caught that in the read through, but maybe not. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what the editing team is really doing, but like, I remembered, <laughs> which I was like, oh, maybe my book is wrong or something. Yeah. And I kept writing she in my notes. But then my guest Sarah was like, no, no, no. Headcanon, he trans forgot. icon. Yeah, said that. And then trans icon Blackjack, which I'm here for. Love that. But yeah, maybe he's very organized. Maybe he just thought it would be a cool thing to mention. I'm intrigued. Regardless, it's super cool. And it was such a fun reveal. Yeah. But yes, Percy says, up close now, it looks bigger. 
Thalia says that it is the Nemean lion and instructs them not to move. It then roars so loudly that Percy's hair parts, and Zoe tells them to separate on her mark to keep it distracted. When Grover asks for how long, Zoe says until she thinks of a way to kill it, and then she gives <laughs> the signal, which is go. Very vivid imagery here. Very vivid imagery here. Roaring to part your hair. You know exactly what that looks like. That's mm-hmm. that's well written. It's good stuff. Percy uncaps Riptide. He rolls to the left. Arrows whiz by because Zoe and Bianca are just firing right away. Grover plays a reed pipe song. Love it. Zoe and Bianca then climb up the Apollo shuttle capsule and they fire more arrows. But the arrows are not really working. They are just shattering against the lion's metallic fur. They're breaking. They don't do any damage. The lion then approaches Grover, but Thalia jumps in front of its way and holds up Aegis, and it causes the lion to roar. And it kind of at first looks like it's working, almost as if it was emitting fire. And I'm wondering at this point, is Thalia effectively lion taming the Nemean (laughs) lion? Is she going to have a little chair too to get out there and grab a whip? But It looks like it's retreating because it takes some steps back and kind of crouches on its hind legs. But then Percy, and the reason for this is wild, he can tell that it's about to pounce because he has seen a lot of cat fights in his alley in New York City. What is he talking about? I mean, it's a New York City birthright. You're not a New Yorker until you see a cat fight (laughs) in an alley. I have never seen (laughs) cats argue or fight in an alley. I rarely see cats in alleys. I usually see pigeons or rats in alleys. I was very surprised that this was written about like it's a super normal thing. Even if I did see cats fight in the alleys, I don't know that I would be picking up on their cool strategies. (laughs) I got to ask Uncle Rick about this because I've never heard anyone say this ever. So it's not even just like I haven't seen this. I've never heard a single person from New York City be like, oh, yeah, classic cat fight. (laughs) What is he talking about? I don't know, man. I I get what he's going for in that it's obvious if you're observing it from the side that this cat is getting ready to pounce because it's like loading its back legs or whatever. But also like, I don't think you need to witness a cat fight for your common sense to tell you that. Yeah, it feels like if you want to make this reference, maybe Percy could have said he watched a documentary about lions or in science class, they learned this. Like there's other ways to have the same realization without making up a New York thing that totally does not exist. (laughs) Yes. Percy then yells, hey, without really knowing his end goal, just kind of realizes there's a problem and has to step in to do something, which I appreciate and sometimes I do, just kind of act knowing something is wrong, I got to change things. I don't really know what I'm going for here, but I got to do something. Yeah. And narrator Percy then says that he slashed with Riptide when, you know, he's approaching the lion, the lion's attacking him. But... He hits it with a good strike that he says, to the flank that should have cut the monster into meow mix, but the blade just (laughs) clanged against its fur in a burst of sparks. And I got to wonder, is this sponsored content? Did Meow Mix pay Rick Riordan to make sure he said that? Is Meow Mix, is that, that's a name brand. It's a name brand of cat food. So it's not food made out of cats. So it's not like 100% correct. I still get what he's going for. No, I get what he's going for, but I didn't know if that was actually the name brand or if it was like something else, you know? Oh, it's the one with the really annoying commercial song where they just say meow a lot. Okay. Which I won't sing to save everybody's ears. Now, if it was like 
and this slice should have turned him into Purina Pro Plan Meow Mix <laughs> 1999 at your local PetSmart. Then it would have been like, hey, Rick, you disclose to the IRS that this was paid in sponsored income. I do wonder with these sorts of things when you make a name brand reference in the books, like, do you have to clear it? Is it like a sample? If Meow Mix didn't want this association, could they get upset at Rick? I'm always very intrigued. I feel like no. Yeah. Well... I guess you could technically be slandering them if you were saying something bad about the product, but right. it's pretty obvious that this is fiction based on the fact that these people are the sons and daughters of Greek gods and goddesses. <laughs> yeah, I think he's just making a fun reference and they wouldn't be upset, but I guess if there was some other thing where Percy, I don't know, had a name brand anything and said something bad, it's like, oh, I had a sip of Pepsi and it tasted like, but, you know, <laughs> then maybe Pepsi could be like, hey. I had a sip of Pepsi and it killed me. <laughs> How'd I die at 16? I drank a glass of Pepsi. My name's <laughs> Percy Jackson. This paragraph brought to you by the Coca-Cola Corporation. <laughs> I mean, look, they've only... No, they've talked about Dr. Pepper and Coke, and they're they're separate. Dr. Yes. Pepper's independent, so it's not like it's just one thing here. But yeah, the Meow Mix thing, it was a funny joke, but at the same time, I was like, that's not... Uh, okay, anyway, <laughs> the lion gets Percy quite badly with his claws, and Percy says that he ripped off a chunk of his coat. When did Percy have a coat? Did I misread this? Did I forget this? I don't remember. They said that he didn't pack. So has he been wearing a coat the whole time? I guess it was cold early on. I'm assuming he had a coat when they arrived at Camp Half-Blood. So yeah. was he just wearing it at the time? Did he say he had a coat when he went on the blackjack mission thing, but then he was underwater, but his clothes don't get wet, so it doesn't matter. So maybe he Amazing did. Amazing perk, by the way. Forgot to mention that in last episode. Dude, so good. Like, for all of the trauma that you have to go through to get to Camp Half-Blood, for the abandonment issues that you have to deal with, with your parent being a god who doesn't claim you until you're whatever, 13, 14, a decent trade-off, a decent silver lining is that you could go underwater and your clothes don't get wet. Because that's a pretty terrible feeling when you're walking around and you step in a puddle and your socks are wet for Dude, eight hours. Nothing is worse <laughs> than a wet sock. It's so it's brutal. bad. It's brutal. It's really bad. So yeah, maybe maybe he was still wearing a coat, but I just didn't remember him wearing a coat. And if he was wearing a coat, why was he complaining about being cold? I mean, maybe it was so cold that even the coat didn't do it. But like, I don't know. You got to get a better coat. Maybe he had the wrong kind of coat. You know, yeah, know. maybe he was like me in LA, just light jackets only. Light jacket needs. <sighs> Not not built for coming back east. <laughs> yeah, you got to get a big poof, but not a Canadian goose because there's no reason to buy a coat that costs $1,000. You can just get a North Face for a fraction of the price and it's just as good. Yes. You're paying for a patch and you're paying $1,000. It's a lot of money. It's so stupid. It's like half of a rent payment. <laughs> Dude, wild, wild. So Percy is then up against a railing when it lunges at him again. And the way he describes it is 1,000 pounds of beast. And Percy realizes the only thing I can do is jump off this railing. So he does. And he lands on the wing of a silver airplane that is suspended from the ceiling. And the lion then follows. So he jumps to the next lower exhibit to avoid a swipe. And this one is a spacecraft with blades like a helicopter. And the lion roars. And Percy can see its pink tongue and mouth. And he has the same realization as Zoe does. Because Zoe then shouts for Percy and I guess anyone else attacking it, herself, Bianca, to aim for its mouth. It lunges again. The arrows miss. Percy then goes on to the floor exhibit, which is a giant globe. And Percy says, I slid down Russia and dropped off the equator. <laughs> so a cable of the hanging exhibit that the lion was on snaps when it jumps off and it starts to swing towards the ground. Percy tells Grover to clear the area to get all of the civilians out of there. And he does. The lion then hops onto this ground exhibit onto the North Pole. Thalia hops down and lands across the globe from Percy. And the lion is trying to decide who to attack. 
Zoe and Bianca ready their bows and they call for Percy and Thalia to try to get the lion to open its mouth. And Percy thinks to something that he bought in the gift shop way back when he went to this museum with Sally years ago. Percy tells Thalia to keep it busy, and she does, and then he runs into the gift shop and grabs silver packets from the gift shop. And I was very confused, didn't know what this was. Thalia calls for Percy to hurry, and right after gets swatted away by the lion and knocks into a rocket exhibit. Percy yells to try and get the lion's attention, but that doesn't work, so he throws Riptide like a throwing knife, just bounces off the lion, but it does work to get his attention. Percy then realizes that he's got to charge at the lion, so he does, and he gets up close and he throws a space food pouch. That is what he has grabbed out of the gift shop. He takes a space food pouch and he throws it into its maw and he notes that it is strawberry parfait flavored, and that delicious. First off, maybe tasty, makes me think of the strawberry milkshake that Percy drank in the second book, and it begins to gag. I've never eaten space food. Have you eaten space food? No. Okay. I feel like that's such a thing, though. Yeah, I've had dehydrated food when I did a Northern Lights trip in Norway. We went out to yeah. like the wilderness, like just the middle of nowhere in a big valley, and we just had those heat and eat packets where you pour boiling water, you close it, you let it sit for a little bit, and then it's just like vague rice and meat kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it was fine. You know, yeah, it yeah. was three in the morning and we needed food. That's the job. You need calories in your body to right. continue to be able to stand, right? Totally did its part, but I've never had any packaged food. I guess I probably drank Tang one or two times because I grew up in the 90s and they marketed that to kids for some reason with yeah. a weird CGI monkey. <laughs> or I think they had real monkeys in the commercials too, did they? I don't remember. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, you're too young. I'm too young. So after the lion eats this space food, it begins to gag. And Percy remembers, ah, yes, been there before. I ate it and I gagged. And it swallows. It's able to get it down. And it looks really angry. Percy then yells, snack time. And then it roars at him. And he just says he throws in an ice cream sandwich. I'm assuming that he means an ice cream sandwich flavored thing or like a dehydrated ice cream sandwich, not just a regular ice cream sandwich, right? Right. Assumption being that he's moved on to the space food strategy here and he's just throwing all space food. I gotta say, should we get the yoga mat out for this one? Is this a little bit of a stretch? (laughs) Just what, that it would be ice cream sandwich flavored or that this would work? No, that he can just throw space food at this lion and it'll eat it and choke on it? Well, you forget the next line where Percy says, quote, Fortunately, I had always been a pretty good pitcher, even though baseball wasn't my game. Before the lion could stop gagging, I shot in two more flavors of ice cream and a freeze-dried spaghetti dinner. That sounds quite horrendous. (laughs) As resident baseball podcaster here on the show, I feel like... You can't be a pretty good pitcher and not have baseball be your game. Pitching is really hard. It is not a casual position. Yes, exactly. Like, if you're a good pitcher, you should probably just play baseball because that's where the money is at. Here's where I wrote something that I know that you'll appreciate. I feel like Percy Jackson might be the Nestor Cortez of demigods. Whoa. Okay, just for reference, Nestor Cortez is a player on my beloved New York Yankees. He has a very cool mustache. He's a lefty. He does all these weird pitching motions where he almost doesn't throw two pitches the same way in succession, which just confuses the batters. A standard baseball pitcher, almost the same delivery every time. Nestor does all this weird stuff where he kicks his leg high or quick pitches or throws sidearm or over the top. Exactly. And he's very fun. His nickname is Nasty Nestor, and he likes to chew a lot of bubble gum and joke around with his teammates and eat apples when he's not pitching. And he's become an immediate fan favorite. He's very lovable Mm -hmm. and part of that is because he just does things the way only Nestor would do them and I just Mm -hmm. feel like that's how Percy fights Uh, like I feel like he's just like 
no other demigod would be like, I'm, let me throw space food down this <laughs> Nemean lion's throat and that'll work out for me. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'm just picturing him as Nestor. For you, Mike, for you, I'm picturing you. Percy as Nestor. I really like it. I'm now imagining Percy Jackson with a big old mustache. <laughs> I mean, like, he's 14 now. He, <laughs> if he's, they haven't made explicit mention that he started shaving, so he might start to get that little thin mustache oh. that you get when you're preteen. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I also appreciate the way he approaches fighting. It's also like the person in a D&D campaign that asks the GM, can I do this? Am I allowed to do this? And then sometimes the GM, depending on how chill they are, agrees like, or not. Uh, it's probably not in the spirit of the game, but yeah, sure. But yeah, why don't you roll me, uh, I don't know, an acrobatics check to see if you can <laughs> throw space food into its mouth after yes. you just threw your sword like it was a knife? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like that he takes the outside-the-box approach. It's good. It's very, very fun. It feels like they don't know what's coming. Coming. Yeah, and it he, confuses that's him. Probably because he doesn't know what's coming either. He's <laughs> really flying by the seat of his pants. It, look, if I don't know what I'm doing, they can't know what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly right. So he throws all this stuff in its mouth. Its eyes bulge. It opens its mouth again to roar in disgust. And then six arrows just boom, 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 all in the mouth. And it just falls still. It's done. Alarms are blaring throughout the museum. People are fleeing. The guards are running in panic. Grover helps up Thalia. Zoe and Bianca come down and rejoin them. Zoe calls Percy's strategy interesting. Percy says, hey, it worked, which is very true. And Zoe does not protest. Her silence is approval enough. Percy is correct. It's all about results, dude. Mm -hmm. It's not the journey. It's the destination. (laughs) The lion starts to melt away like normal, but his fur kind of remains. It starts to shrink, but then it doesn't fully dissolve away in classic monster fashion. Zoe tells Percy to take it. And narrator Percy says, I stared at her. What? The lion's fur? Isn't that like an animal rights violation or something? (laughs) Zoe says it's a spoil of war and it is rightly his, but she does say it is rightly thine. Percy says that Zoe killed it. And then she shakes her head and almost smiles, saying, I think thy ice cream sandwich did that. Fair is fair, Percy Jackson. Take the fur. Which is really cool. And again, Zoe has really had such a come up. I'm a big fan now. This is a cool moment for her. She made you work for it, you know? She wasn't just going to give you the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. when you're a hero in a long line of heroes who have let a lot of people down Mm -hmm. with their behavior. And what I appreciate, this is something that will happen in different video games where you do a lot of work to take down the big beast and then someone else gets the final shot. And depending on the game mechanic, sometimes they will get all of the credit or you will just get the assist. I don't know if you've played Horizon Zero Dawn, but there is a point towards the end of the game where you have to fight a really, really big beast with your friends. And it takes a very long time. And I was doing all the work. My friends are helping a little bit, but I'm doing all the work. (laughs) And I had it down to where it had one more shot to go. And you're a bow and arrow shooter, the main character. So I have my final bow geared up, ready to go. And one of my friends, who definitely pulled his weight the least, gets the final blow. And then he goes, yeah! And I was like, And, and the thing with this game, you don't get any assists or anything because it's not multiplayer at all. You only get credit if you kill the thing. And I lost out on tens of thousands of experience points, which didn't matter because it was basically the last level. And it doesn't really matter if I level up after the fact. Oh, I was so upset. Oh, I was so upset. It's brutal. 
It's brutal. It's like you dropped 50, but someone else hit the game winner. Yeah. So I'm glad that Zoe recognizes, sure, I got the final blow, but you did most of the work. So if there was yeah. a Percy Jackson video game, I trust that this game You'd mechanic be would be in there. Yes. Truly, Zoe gets the assist here. Even though she got the final blow, Percy took care of most of the health bar. Now, Grover says that they have to get out of here because the security guards won't stay confused for long. And I remembered, oh, right, the mist. I wonder what they're seeing. And that was the first time that Percy realized it as well. He says that he noticed for the first time how strange it was that the guards hadn't rushed forward to arrest them. They were scrambling in all directions, not running towards them, going all over the place as if they were searching for something. And some of them were running into the walls or each other, which is just a very funny visual. And that causes Percy to ask Grover if he did this, if it's not just the mist or maybe it's Grover controlling the mist. Grover confirms, even though he looks a little bit embarrassed, and he says, quote, a minor confusion song. I played some Barry Manilow. It works every time, but it'll only last a few seconds. Second Barry Manilow reference in the PJO series. Rick has a soft spot for Barry Manilow, clearly. Does he have a soft spot for Barry Manilow, or does he dislike Barry Manilow? Playing yeah, Barry true. Manilow causes people to run into each other and run into walls. Listen, shout out to Barry Manilow, doing his thing. My dad's a big Barry Manilow fan. Mm -hmm. I just have to say, the worst album ever put out into the world Whoa. is the Barry Manilow Christmas album. Why However, is it the worst? Why is it the worst? Well, it's one of those things where it's so bad that it's good. You just have to listen to it. Okay. Is it classic songs or did he write new songs? It's like classic songs that he changed completely. Like these are songs that should not be changed. Like, you know, Silver Bells, like it's don't a banger. Need to change it. You know, you don't need to change it. Baby, it's cold outside. Maybe we change it. Well, yeah, I don't think Baby, it's cold outside is on there. If it is, I don't think we've ever made it that far. If, there was, the ever, album. if there was ever a song that needed a lyrics yeah, change. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> just check it out, Mike. Just in your spare time, just throw in the Barry Manilow Christmas album. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the only times we've had Barry Manilow references is in a negative connotation. I think Percy mentions that Sally likes and he calls it boring music. Mm -hmm. And then we've got this. Maybe Rick's a big Rod Stewart guy, and he's upset that mm. Barry Manilow and Rod Stewart look like identical twins, even though they have very different musical styles. Percy's wrong for that one, man. Copacabana goes hard. Is that a Barry Manilow one? Yeah. I didn't know that was Barry Manilow. <laughs> wow. Get with it, dude. Get with the show tunes. Sorry, I didn't think white guy Barry Manilow was <laughs> Copacabana. <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> Regardless, though, shout out to Grover for upping his spell game. He yeah. has upped the game with his reed pipes. He's got minor confusion stuff. He's doing the tracking spells. Grover's really leveling up and becoming a true asset to the team. He's working on his craft. Yeah. Zoe then unfortunately says that the security guards are not their biggest worry, and she tells them all to look. And then narrative Percy says the following, through the glass walls of the museum, I could see a group of men walking across the lawn, gray men in gray camouflage outfits. They were too far away for us to see their eyes, but I could feel their gaze aimed straight at me. Percy says go, and he says that they're hunting him. He says that he's going to distract them, selfless King Percy Jackson. But Zoe says, no, we go together. And that's huge because Zoe, earlier in this chapter, basically told Percy to get lost. Yeah, kick rocks, dude. Right, right. So Percy is in utter disbelief, even starts to say, but you said. But then Zoe says, and this is the way this chapter ends, and it's how we'll end this episode. And man, big 180 on Zoe for me here. Quote, you are part of this quest now. And she says it. And I didn't even know this was a word. The narrator says that Zoe said it grudgingly. What's the difference between grudgingly and begrudgingly? 
That's a fantastic question. Both adverbs, grudgingly and begrudgingly, also have similar definitions. Grudgingly is when we show a lack of desire or resentment. Begrudgingly is a way to behave that is reluctant or envious. So I guess begrudgingly is like one step worse than grudgingly? Yeah, I feel like either could have worked in this situation. Yeah. This one came from OneMinuteEnglish.org. At least better than Masterclass. That feels more apt. (laughs) So, grudgingly, she says... You are part of this quest now. And then she continues, I do not like it, but there is no changing fate. You are the fifth quest member, and we are not leaving anyone behind. You in italics, let's go. Oh, man. (laughs) I knew that this was going to happen. I love that this has happened. Now I have to readjust all of my guesses for all of the things. And let me see if I can pull it up real quick on my very legal PDF. But... What are your thoughts as I frantically control F my way to find the part where the prophecy yeah, <laughs> takes well, place? Well, now we've clicked into motion, right? Like now we've clicked into the machine is whirring, the band is fully together, and we're going on the most consequential part of our mission because we have the team assembled. Percy, the main character, is now going to be part of the main story. And up until this point in the book, of course, it's been very entertaining and they've done a lot of character development. I feel like it hasn't kicked into motion to start resolving some of the questions that it's asked. Mm-hmm. And now that everybody's together, headed in the, rowing in the same direction, so to speak, I feel like that's Rick's way of saying to you, all right, now you're going to start to get some of those answers. And that's a really satisfying feeling as a reader. It just makes you want to continue to read on. As I did once I finished this chapter, even though I knew that I was only talking about <laughs> up to chapter 10, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to finish the book. I'm just going to power straight through and finish it. It's hard for me to stop. It's especially hard because... Well, well, you're getting paid to stop. I can keep going. (laughs) I do say... I'm glad you pointed out because people are always like, oh my God, how do you have the will to stop? It's like, it makes the podcast better if I do. (laughs) And the podcast is my job. The logline of the podcast is how he has the will to stop. (laughs) The premise of the show. But yeah, it's cool. We're halfway through the book and now we can clearly see, all right, now we know the full direction. We've got the prophecy. We know everyone in play. Here's how Percy fits in. Because a couple chapters ago, I was confused. How does Percy fit into the whole mix? Is he just going to follow him the whole time? How long is he going to be able to keep that up? But now it's like, oh, okay, here we go. So let's go back to the prophecy and we'll end this episode by me trying to change my guesses now that we know who's there and what's up. Five shall go west to the goddess in chains. Artemis, we know what's up. One shall be lost in the land without rain. I feel like, given what we know now about Zoe, I could see being lost in the land without rain, either being Bianca or Thalia. Don't think it's Grover because he was lost in the last book. Don't think it's Percy because he's the main character and now he's like fully on the quest. The Bane of Olympus shows the trail. We already know what's going on. Campers and hunters combine prevail. We already got that. The Titans curse muscle and stand. We don't know what it is, but one is going to do it. So I feel like maybe, I mean, that could honestly be anybody at this point. Anyone could withstand the curse. I just don't even know what the curse is. So I don't know who it makes sense. I could see... Ah, nah, I don't think the Titan's curse is the skeletons. That doesn't feel like the Titan's curse. Uh, eh, That doesn't feel like a curse. So if I had to guess... Feels like a bad time. Yeah, (laughs) Not a curse. (laughs) If I had to guess someone, I would just say Percy just for now because he's very much one to kind of like sacrifice himself and he's got this going on. So I feel like my best guess is probably Percy and one shall perish by a parent's hand. I would guess that would be Zoe. So... If I got to pick somebody for getting lost in the rain, I would say Bianca, and then maybe she finds her way back to camp or something, and then we move along with Grover. Mm, But it does say campers and hunters combined prevail, and that's plural. So maybe maybe Thalia. Yeah, I don't think Thalia's going to die. So how about Thalia gets lost in the land without rain, and then we've got Grover. Oh, and that would be why it's campers and not 
heroes or demigods. So I think Thalia gets lost in the land without rain. The campers and hunters prevail would be the final four of Zoe, Bianca, Grover, Percy. Percy has to withstand the Titan's curse. Maybe the zombies are the Titan's curse and he's just withstanding it. He's got to deal with it for the whole time. And then Zoe dies at a parent's hand, which might be Kronos or the general. Not really sure. Those are my new guesses. And that's the end of this episode of the newest Olympian. Thank you for just smiling and not saying anything. <laughs> All you can do here, Bobby, this was such a blast. Tongue tied, my dude. <laughs> Tongue tied. Great song. Thank you for being on the a show. Group love reference. Mm-hmm, I like it. Mm-hmm. If people want to find you doing stuff, where can they find you doing stuff? They can find me on Tipping Pitches, a podcast about baseball, a podcast about labor. Uh, you could find my work at The Ringer, anywhere you get podcasts. I produce The Big Picture, a movie podcast over there. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at BWAGS, B-W-A-G-S. Mm-hmm. Much like we referenced with horse being a primer to basketball, Tipping Pitches is a great primer to baseball and also how to properly trash talk billionaires and <laughs> be pro-union. It's a good learning experience. Trash talking billionaires is very important to me. So if that's something that you think you might like, just give it a shot. You don't even have to like the baseball element, you, honestly. We don't talk that often about <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest. It is usually trashing Bob Castellini and his carrot empire. <laughs> yes. We uh, we just had our five-year anniversary of the Tipping Pitches podcast, which is really wild for mm-hmm, me to say mm-hmm. that I've been a podcaster for five years. And we did an episode where we did five predictions for the next five years of baseball. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, five for five for five is the title of that episode. And maybe mm-hmm. go check it out. I think it's pretty cool that you predicted the Yankees would win five straight. I appreciate that's that That's exactly much. what I said. And I said that everybody would come around and think that the Yankees were very cool and fun. They are cool and not and villainous fun. at all. That no, was my, that was my first fun. prediction, actually. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, we got to go. We have pizza to eat. And that's the end of the episode. Until next time we figure out whatever is going on with the next chapter, which I don't even know what it's called. No clue what's going on. We'll see the aftermath of what lies ahead. But until then, I'll see you later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The New Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanas and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. In case you haven't heard, we have lots of TNO live shows coming up. Some of them have streaming components. You can get tickets to all of those upcoming shows at thenewsolympian.com slash live. If you're all caught up in the show and you just can't get enough, I'd recommend checking out our Patreon. At thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon, you can get access to a bunch of bonus content. You'll also be able to watch that Hades the Video Game stream that Stephen Para and I are doing slash have done depending on when you're listening to this and you'll also get access to our discord community which is a lot of fun if you're looking to find other communities that aren't linked to the patreon you can find us on social media we're at newest olympian on twitter instagram and facebook and we also have a subreddit reddit.com slash r slash the newest olympian and i also just launched a tiktok that is being run by sherry it's at newest olympian as well i'd also love to give a big shout out to our producer level patrons lotta bartova kelsey gillespie the damn steam nuggets emma cooey vicky garcia ellie house veronica bartova Haley hastings robin garcia frida vickstrom megan moon Tough Bay Fong, Moo Productions, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Can't I See We Brain, Peter Johnson the Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Colby, Marco Redhouse, Falcon Joey, James, Christopher William Boucher, Lux, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra McKenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Aaron Wood, Tyler Hendricks, Molly Snyder, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, CC Reads 23, Sand Cop, Julia Kenny, 
Kendall, Emil, Oscar Thomason, Noah Bundgaard, Liz Cardigan, Shatsa Bobs, Heck Emily, and Miss Zeus's kid. If you want to help out the show non-monetarily, the best way to do so is via word of mouth. Whether you tell someone about the show who you think would like the show, someone who loves Percy Jackson, or someone who's been looking for an excuse to read Percy Jackson, or if you talk about us on social media, or if you leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using, any of those help, and I appreciate anyone who has done or will do those in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, where we will be covering chapter 11 of The Titan's Curse with special guest Melissa Anelli. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So I'm currently recording this in my bedroom and my parents are in town. My dad has a couple of different bottles and stuff out from our day at the US Open tennis tournament. And I'm just going to open and close some various lids and stuff. So here is Purell hand sanitizer. Here are some free samples of sunscreen that we got. It's a screw top. I don't know if that's being heard. Here's my dad's sunglasses case. Here is a uh, water bottle that I got from the place where we performed the live show in Philly. It's me. Oh, I just broke it. So that's cool. That's very fun. Good thing. I Good, good, great. Good decision me. Don't worry. I just fixed it. And here's a, another thing of sunscreen that my dad got in Dwayne Reed. Thank you so much. I have no idea which of those will sound like anything, but there we are. Thank you for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.